I did for a Christmas present get a Taylor Swift canvas bag. Well, I know you, I know you're a big T Swift fan. Yeah, I am a Swifty. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to the discussion on digital marketing and digital patient engagement strategies for hospitals, healthcare systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on the digital tools, solutions, strategies, and even processes that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information and have a little bit of fun along the way. I'm Reed Smith and always joined by my co-host, Chris Boyer. Uh, You can find Chris online at ChristopherBoyer.com, at Chris Boyer on Twitter, and of course, you can track him down on LinkedIn. Chris, how's it going? Pretty good, Reed. How's it going yourself? You, Reed, can be found online at uh, socialhealthinstitute.com and also on Twitter at Reed Smith and as well as LinkedIn and a variety of other places as well. So great to to be here again for episode 12. Absolutely. Episode 12, a dozen of these in. So that that is awesome. Who knew? Who knew? Uh, and, we're, and we're doing them weekly. So, I mean, if we would have normally gotten to episode 12 when we started this, if you would have told me that, I would have thought we were probably, mm-hmm. I- at the very least, half a year in, right? So, um, <laughs> yeah. But we've had such great feedback, great comments, feedback from everybody, both by email, via Twitter, LinkedIn, even in person, for that matter. Mm-hmm. That still happens mm-hmm. in real life. IRL, whatever people call that. Um, and we very much appreciate that. And so to continue uh, you know, down that track and to, to make it easy for people to find the podcast, uh, we've got a favor, actually two favors. First, if you would, go out to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast. So you obviously will get this each and every week, every time it comes out. You don't have to worry about trying to keep up with when a new one um, uh, pops up, it'll just show up. Uh, but go to iTunes and subscribe. And then while you're there, if you will rate and review us, that would be uh, super, super helpful and uh, would just make us feel good too. So while you're there, subscribe, rate, which is the little star ratings, and then write a review would be wonderful. Awesome. Awesome. And the second favor we're going to ask is actually one that was uh, an idea that was given to us by one of our listeners. Uh, she contacted me this last week, and she said that she thought our podcast was so good that she started to that she actually asked her boss to listen into the podcast. So, if you uh, feel that there's a lot of co- cool value with this, uh, you're really getting something out of this, uh, feel free to share the love, refer it to a friend, refer it to colleagues, let people know about our podcast. We we definitely would like to spread the word um, because we, we're hoping we're giving out some good information that you guys are all enjoying. Absolutely, absolutely. Word of mouth. We'll probably do a uh, podcast episode on that uh, at some point in the future. Yeah, absolutely. That would be a good one. Yes, a good topic. Yes. But, but today's that. topic, it, I think we should focus in on uh, something that um, that not a lot of healthcare professionals talk about, or at least marketing professionals do, I should say. But one that I think is very important for when we talk about digital marketing and digital patient engagement, and that's patient portals. And specifically, patient portals are they really designed for patient usability in mind? No. I'm going to go ahead and say no, probably. From that. No, I say that. That's that's not fair. Uh, that's not fair. No. But I think, you know, to your point, you know, um, you know, as we kind of get into this and not to jump too far ahead, you know, a lot of this was done for various reasons, um, you know, outside of uh, true convenience, let's say. Let's first talk about like the market, the patient portal market, because, uh, you know, I think everyone knows what a patient portal is. It's an online website that allows you to do, for patients, to do a lot of different things. Uh, you know, recent doctor visits, patient history, right. information about discharge, medications, appointment scheduling, uh, and some also have the ability to do uh, where you can actually do electronic exchange communication with your, your care team. You could check your benefits, your coverage. You can kind of get anticipated, like, how much is this going to cost me? You can make payments, a variety of other things. Sure. You know, Patient portals are used, though, by a variety of people, not just patients, 
medical practitioners, pharmacists, and a variety of other people in the care support team have access to the portal. A lot of times they may not go directly into the patient portal. The patient portal is sort of like the entry point into uh, the medical, the patient record, but uh, a lot of that information is kind of shared and flowed among the entire support care team. So just so we're all level of setting, that's what we're talking about when we talk about a patient portal, typically accessed on the website or through an app. Those are the typical ways that people can get to it. I know that I, um, I have a mobile app on my phone and I can also go to the hospital website and click through and link on that. What was the original intent you know, I mean, was it, uh, you know, I guess you, you had meaningful use or different things driving, I guess, the motivation for why the technology provider of, say, an EMR, because most of these are tied or part of the EMR package, right? Like it's not, mm-hmm. mo- mo- most hospitals, I guess, are not using a patient portal that is, um, you know, standalone or separate from, you know, their EMR. It's usually you know, sold as part of that engagement, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you, know, you mm-hmm. mentioned a few of those, you know, bill pay and some of those types of things. Um, mm-hmm. I, have we made it much past what the initial intent or launch point was? I mean, have we, have you felt this, you know, iterate very much? Well, I think that we're starting to see some advancements. Now, way back when, when I was, you know, when I started in a hospital system almost 10 years ago, uh, at that time, the patient portal was not necessarily something that was consistent across the experience. We had a lot of physicians that had their own individual patient portals that they were using for their practice. Um, and then as the health system, what we would do is if we're trying to establish the ability to develop a consistent patient record through that experience, particularly through those uh, physicians that may be strongly affiliated with our hospital or even employed, we had to go through this whole thing about integrating it through into a consistent single patient portal. Um, And that's one of the advancements that we have seen. So you're right. Nowadays, the patient portal is sponsored by or owned by the hospital. All right. So historically, or if patient portals originated or historically were more, you know, physician driven or physician practice driven or, you know, it was a, it was a way to connect with, with the physician, you know, obviously we're seeing more and more and seeing, you know, the meaningful use or whatever it may be, the need to have or the want or the desire for that to be driven through the hospital website uh, or the hospital side of the equation. Why, why is that? Well, I think it, there's a lot of reasons why that's kind of driving that. And first of all, it makes a lot more financial sense to kind of centralize the patient portal and to connect that information. So we see a lot of health systems that are, um, you know, sponsoring physician portals for affiliated doctors, et cetera. So they have a consistent single patient record. It makes a lot of sense as well to keep track of that clinical pathway Mm. and understand referrals and understand how the patient might be interacting with that primary care doctor, the specialist, what have you. I think for organizational perspective, it makes a lot of sense. It certainly is appealing to the doctors because the physicians don't have to carry the overhead of having their own electronic medical record and subsequently sure. patient portal. So it makes a lot of sense to them. Um, and you know, ultimately, it should make it a lot easier for patients to only have to go to one place to get their health record rather than having to go to the doctor and their specialist and the, the hospital. Now they can get it one patient record from one place. Possibly. You know, and I always, it seems like I bring this up every podcast now, but in Texas, we don't employ physicians. And so anyway, so it leads you down that path of interoperability and, you know, different systems, different logins, different apps, different, you know, and all this kind of stuff and how well do they talk to each other and all that kind of good stuff. So, you know, we've mentioned meaningful use as being kind of that, um, I guess, uh, motivating or, you know, kicking off point of of why you know, I mean there's a financial component to that meaningful use originally or you know phase one of meaningful use being what was it like 2011 2012 something like that mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and so we're still cons- we're, we're still even seeing you know that as additional waves come being kind of the motivating factor for for organizations well let's talk about meaningful use for a second because I think it's important to kind of clue in on right mm-hmm. in that meaningful use uh, it, it comes from the government, clearly, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, 
And it sets up these expectations where meaningful use is really designed to help better clinical outcomes, to improve population health outcomes, to increase transparency, efficiency, empower individuals, and even create like a lot of robust research data on health systems. And there's financial implications or financial requirements that come along with it that uh, incent hospitals and health systems to go down the path of doing an integrated electronic medical record and getting a patient portal out there. Uh, What's interesting about meaningful use, though, is that the KPI of success is adoption rate of that patient portal by the patient population. And what's interesting about all of this, I think, is that when it was first initially put into play, meaningful use was completely focused on the health system and not on the patient, not being more usable for the patient. Right, yeah, it was it was more of technology transactional. And again, and not to jump ahead because we'll get to this, but you know, that's kind of where marketing came in was like, "Hey, we need to drive adoption." To like get people to sign up and log into this thing or sign up for it ultimately. So yeah, it was not like, you know, Hey, let's go figure out what everybody would like to do and how this could be the most useful for everybody and you know what this means and how is this best um, you know, align or line up next to our in-person experience when you come to the organization and you know, how can we make your life easier, make it where you don't have to come here? You know, maybe it's you know telemedicine being delivered through like none of that right. none of that was really talked about, I don't think. It was more it was more transactional in nature. And, you know, not that that's okay, but maybe that's where it had to start, you know. But, I mean, we're getting to a place that unless it becomes more useful, it's kind of like, you know, how many iPhone apps have you downloaded on the course of having an iPhone versus how many right. do you still use? Like, everybody will download it or everybody will log in once. But, like, how do you keep them coming back? You know, there's got to be some value there. Exactly. And I remember when Meaningful Use 2, that milestone came, and you you had to have actually the patients cross this, like, this meaningful threshold. They had to actually purposefully use it. So not only log in, but actually transmit some kind of communication. And that would count towards a meaningful use goal. And I remember at the health system, we were, we were scrambling around with ideas. Well, we can have them log into it on their way out of the doctor's office and have them really quickly like to hit click a button to do something. And then we hit our meaningful use goals. And, you know, the whole time I'm thinking that technically isn't really making it useful for the patient, right? For the patient, it's just getting them to do something. And I think we need to start focusing more and more of our efforts now on making it meaningful and useful to that patient. I mean, you would think patient records, prescription information, you think that would be useful. But I mean, we what we have to do, though, is we have to, like you said, instead of making it just download an app mm-hmm. and that counts like success, it's like, how can we start to make that more meaningful? We spend a lot of time trying to make sure our websites are useful and usable. Mm-hmm. And we spend time you know, trying to make sure that our marketing resonates and our communications are written in the right languages. And we spend a lot of time doing that. How are they intersecting with the patient portal? Why do you think they're not being invited to the table more often on this? Yeah, they're not. Uh, well, I, I, say that, I say that they're not. I mean, short of the, uh, hey, we need to put this on the website conversation there's there's really not a lot of discussion I, I would say very very little discussion um, and I think some of that is because what measurable impact can they actually have you know so they can get you know, theoretically marketing communications can get someone to go take some course of action take an online health risk assessment fill out a form you know sign up for something call a phone number but much past that then then what you know that they don't so they're not involved in like what's the there you know or what the, what people are doing and two i still think most marketing communications is built around advertising mm-hmm. not not marketing and communications technically you know so public relations community relations and advertising that that's still the key for functionality you know very little of it has to do with technology very little of it and we've talked about this in previous podcasts around voice of the customer and you know some of those types mm-hmm. of things on how those roles are going to have to evolve and this is just another example of that this is something that historically has been owned by someone in a more technical maybe and or clinical role or combined teams of those clinical and, and technical folks 
because that's where it needs to be implemented. You know, it has to be on mm-hmm. computers, physically on units or iPads or yeah. whatever. And yeah. then, you know, folks have to be trained on how to use it in a clinical sense and that type of thing from an EMR, EMR standpoint. But now it's like, you know, the reason they're not there is because, I, you know, I don't think anybody views marketing and communications as someone who can have a measurable impact. Uh, and so I think it's maybe we're at the wrong level. Right, so you've got you've got you have people that build patient portals, and they need to include more marketing and communication folks, as well as patients and other you know people that understand the experience piece of it, you know. And so that's I think where you can have some measurable impact, not once you've bought it and you have the product at the hospital. What, 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 what is news? Okay, welcome back to our What's News section. And today's article that we're looking at is one that was actually published on hitconsultant.net website, and it's about patient portals. It's called Patient Portals, Build Them Well and They Will Come. And this article summarizes certain of the things that we kind of teed off here in that patient portals, there's a demand here that it's to really start to expand and increase the usage of patient portals is that there are some ways that we could do this that will have not only if we adopt a patient usable centric perspective will it help the patient to start using these tools more it actually does impact positive care as well so let's why don't we just jump right into this yep. um, we talk a little bit about this first of all um, they they said here that uh, they kind of broke out that there's like a starter set, some of the basic stuff you need to have um, within your patient portal. The starter set, they said, is scheduling appointments, pay bills, view records online. Those three things are like absolutely mandatory, you know, deal breakers. If you don't have those, you're not a patient portal, right? Right, right. But, but then they get into a couple more here, the core functional capabilities. So I think, so you mentioned the few that like you got to have or you're just not doing it you know kind of a thing but once you get past that i think some of the key functionality pieces is you can do you can do those things but you really need to then kind of take these into account to make it where people are actually going to then use it right Mm -hmm. so one of those you know make it easy to sign up for uh slash log into so you know how easy is it to find how easy to sign up for and give patients secure access to doctors uh, so people want to talk to physicians um, not that mid-levels and nurses and other people can't play roles within within this ecosystem. They can, and there's there's a great reason for that. Uh, but people want that secure access to their physician. You know, they're seeing it in telehealth, you know, in lieu of being there in person kind of a thing. Um, and it'd be timely, obviously. Uh, enable attachments. Um, and, and really the way that I kind of view this is is, you know, allowing for context. It's being able to upload the picture of, um, you know, hey, is this poison ivy, you know, or or whatever it may be, you know, so, um, but something to allow for context versus just asking a question, the physician not having something to really, it's like, well, I'm not sure it could be this could be that I'd have to look at it, you know, so Mm -hmm. enabling attachments, I think less about, you know, let me actually attach a PDF document and more about, um, you know, actually putting additional information in. Well, Reed, you know, in a couple episodes ago, we were talking about with wearables, you know, how I, I have this desire to want to upload my Fitbit data right. with my, you know, my blood glucose data, what what have you. I think that's where this attachment component comes into play. And that that opens up the Pandora's box to, well, it, are we just going to get now a bunch of PDFs and a bunch of screenshots and images? And how useful is that? But I think that the whole point here is that you want to give patients the ability to share more information about their health, because if they do, then that can help to improve and actually become part of that patient record. Another thing that they talked about here is including automated alerts, getting notifications. If something occurs, like you get a new lab result to get a notification that says you have a new lab result, come check it out. Or that the doctor maybe put a note on this. And even more so, become more automated about proactively notifying. You have an appointment coming up. Um, you know, I think it would be great to see. Right now, I get a notification that says I have an appointment coming up that day of, right, the appointment. Right. 
But it would be great to have it like, you know, like they t- typically do in other places where you get it maybe, you know, a, a week beforehand and maybe it kind of leads you up, making sure that they show up at appointments and things like that. Well, so. and, from a, and from an experience standpoint, you know, the idea that, um, uh, you know, I mean, Southwest Airlines does this, right? I mean, you get the, the text message that says it's still, you know, the flight's being delayed, you know, 15 minutes or whatever. So... You know, people that are driving for, you know, again, as the acuity level goes up, you may be traveling or, you know, it may be more of a destination to where you go once a year for, you know, people that are in Texas maybe driving down to Houston to MD Anderson. Well, if I know that they're running behind that day, um, I don't have to leave as early, you know, or I can get there at the appropriate time versus getting there for my appointment time, so to speak, and, um, you know, having to wait three hours, you know, and I'm right. just, you know, I used MD Anderson as an example. I don't have any personal experience with that, but you know, that's just, you know, or a cancer center, for example, something somebody mm-hmm. would be traveling a distance to. Uh, then they talk a little bit about, uh, you know, making it easy to schedule appointments online. We've, we've mentioned that a number of times to this point. I think that one is pretty self-explanatory. Uh, and there's various things around that, uh, connection to the EHR, uh, you know, we, we've talked as if that is already the case. Most of these patient portals are products of or, you know, the front end to the EHR, the consumer kind of connection point. There are those that, that are standalone EHRs. Um, you know, we don't see those as much, especially on the hospital side of the equation, uh, but connection to the EHR. Um, facilitate bill payment that, you know, that was another one we, we've mentioned. And then finally, and this one is kind of overarching a little bit is uh, to make it mobile. You know, we, we've spent a lot of time and effort rebuilding websites and making sure stuff's responsive and, and all these things are, are really important. Um, but then you have all these third-party pieces that are, that are pulled in, one of them being the patient portal. And, um, you know, if you are on the you know, mobile version or the responsive piece of the website and you click that and then all of a sudden everything's super tiny and it's like a desktop version on your phone, that's not overly helpful. Now, I mean, I think when you're at a healthcare organization and particularly like the CIO or the CTIO or CMIO or whoever, right, who the, the, the ITIS people that are kind of pulling this together, they're probably listening to this and going, Wait, oh my gosh, we have to do all of this stuff, right? This sounds like so much work. And, I, and I'm sure that the doctors and the nurses are thinking, oh my gosh, if we have all of this capability and all of this, it just makes our jobs that much harder. Well, I think that kind of pivots to the real point of this article, which is around how if you create this patient-centered approach to how you're building out your patient portal, it actually has some positive impacts Mm -hmm. on the overall clinical encounter, Mm -hmm. which can ultimately result in benefits. Now, it was very clear, the article is very clear to say, you know, that they don't have a lot of data behind this to support this, but they talked to uh, Kaiser Permanente, which is a great example of like a place where they have integrated, they've been kind of first and foremost a lot in integrating patient portal, electronic health records into the overall care experience. They, uh, some of the doctors actually wrote a blog post that talked about um, some of the things that they saw through by creating some of this patient-centered use and clinical encounter integration. So let me, let's just talk about each one of those. There's four points here, primarily. The first was, um, by establishing that secure email connection between the doctor and the patient, it actually improved outcomes and care. So what they saw is that um, they found that a 2 to 6.5% improvement in their overall healthcare improvement data information center, the HEDIS, health measures around things like glycemic, blood pressure, and cholesterol screening and control. Think about that. Opening up exposure to the doctor to communicate through the patient portal between the patient and the doctor actually drove improved health care. That's pretty powerful. Sure. And in, in probably on the surface, like it's like, oh, well, yeah, sure. Of course it does. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, these are things that, again, you know, patient portal is just the next example of, you know, making it patient centered, making sure that, you know, we're able to put things in front of them and, and structure it in a way that, you know, allows for benefit and allows for outcome, um, you know, as time goes, you know, so, mm-hmm. and again, I, you know, as people become, you know, more used to and more comfortable with, not that they already aren't of, 
you know, doing everything via their mobile phone, you know, it's, it's really going to become, you know, we're going to be like, man, do you remember when you used to have to actually like go to the physician's <laughs> office, you know, or whatever. Um, and so anyways, it's just, yeah, super interesting time. Patient portal use correlates with loyalty. Um, and that's the one with, um, you know, at Kaiser, they reference patients that use the portal are 2.6% more likely to retain a member of the health system than non-users. I don't know. That, that's an interesting stat to me. You know, I don't know if that's a good thing or not. Like, I'm sure it's good. Like, Kaiser, Kaiser's, Kaiser's a great place to do wonderful things. That's not what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. But it's mm-hmm. like, you know, once you're, you know, invested or vested into something to a certain extent, the idea that you're going to change and do something different is probably mm-hmm. not. I mean, you're in, right? You've got all your information in there. You're using it all the time. Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I can, I can believe that they're probably more likely to become uh, or remain a you know member of the of the health system. Yeah, I think it's kind of hard to measure, right? It's saying that the the tool using the patient portal means that uh, patients are more loyal, but there's kind of an implied correlation between those two activities, right? The people using the portal are more loyal. Later on when we talk with Todd in in our Ask the Expert interview, he'll talk about that too that the patients at MD Anderson were much more loyal and therefore they actually ended up being more responsive to um, helping to change and improve the patient portal. So I wonder if that if that's kind of a false correlation or a false statistic. I don't know. But the other the one thing though that they were able to measure is that they said that face to face visits declined with a better patient portal experience. And I think that this holds true, right? Um, patient portals. If you, if you improve that experience and you allow for more of that interaction, what happens is, is that the face-to-face visits can start to decline. At, in, in, uh, in MD Anderson's case, they saw a reduction of sort of this incidental uh, uh, face-to-face visits about things that probably could have been resolved through the uh, through the patient portal, they also uh-huh. saw that their phone their phone calls decreased because now people were able to use um, to use uh, email to communicate, which was much faster. And subsequently, what that ha- what happened was is they saw a lower decrease uh, in in terms of the amount of time that the the caregivers had to use to dedicate to responding to patients' requests on the portal. And then finally, the fourth point, uh, portal use falls along predictable lines, mostly. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. They put the caveat in there. Um, So it's like, you know, the prediction naturally was that younger patients would be the ones, you know, more more frequently using the portal. Uh, Yet, in fact, it was uh, the 60 to 69 age group. They've shown the highest rate of uh, patient portal registration and use. I would guess, though, don't you think that's probably because that group is also the ones that are the higher, you know, higher utilization of the healthcare system as a whole? Right. You know, outside of like maternity, for example, where that's, you know, a little bit more predictable and it's spread amongst, you know, uh, six to nine months, you know, for most most folks. You know, everybody else is probably going to be in an older bracket that's using it, you know, using the system, you know, on an ongoing basis. So that's not that's not out of the norm, I don't think. And I think you see that with, you know, the demographics of people that are using iPads. You know, my mom doesn't ever use a, a computer anymore. And I think, too, that we have to also start to think about the patient portal a little bit differently. And what I mean by that is right now we think of the patient portal as this big, huge thing where people have to log on. And it's very complex and it's very secure and rigid. And don't get me wrong. Security is important. Um, having that secure communication is important. Having all that information there is very important. But as we start to open up the patient portal a little bit more, maybe we're going to start to see uh, better ways that patients can start to use that better and more frequently. Mm-hmm. And it becomes more systemic as part of their overall you know, flow of their day-to-day. Because right now, I would feel that a very motivated user logging into a patient portal would definitely do that because they're very motivated but uh you know maybe a young 25 year old that doesn't go to the hospital all the time all the time maybe goes to an urgent care center doesn't really feel the need to memorize you know that 
27-digit passcode to get into the MyChart, right? Um, Because it's too onerous. But maybe that'll start to change because we'll start to have more of an open uh, patient portal. We'll start to integrate it into more apps, into more other things. And then we'll start to see that more and more people are using these tools regardless of their age. Touch point, touch counterpoint. There are two sides to every story. Ready, fight! All right, now we're kicking off the touch point, touch counterpoint part of the podcast. This is our favorite part of the podcast, and we've heard some of our listeners say they enjoy this part too, where Reed and I take opposing sides of a particular topic, um, a topic that's related to the entire uh, episodes po- uh, topic, and um, and we debate that. And what we do is we use this as a way to kind of uh, show the extre- extreme opposites of a particular point of view or position. Ultimately, like in many cases, what we find out at the end is that even though th- that we have these extreme sides, that the real answer that we find some- falls somewhere in between. So anyway, for those of you who are just listening for the first time, enjoy this next uh, few minutes here of a little bit of a debate here. So Reed, (laughs) what are we going to be debating? All right. So we've talked uh, at nauseum at this point, I guess, about patient portals and marketing's (laughs) role or non-role in said patient portal um, deployment and even planning and iteration and et cetera. So with that... We're going to talk about should marketing play a leadership role in the development of the patient portal for their organization? And I am going to come out on the side of absolutely. It is our imperative as marketers to be the leadership role in the patient portal. And here's why. Marketing really should own the entire experience. And the patient portal is one of the biggest ways to manage the experience that you have with patients using and engaging with your system. So by no doubts, marketing should be a leadership role in this. Massive waste of time (laughs) should never happen. We've got too many other things that are happening in our day-to-day department, employees, and everything else that we have going on. We don't have time for this. And the reason we don't have time for it is because there is no real leadership to even play. You know, we're not involved in the purchasing decisions of this. And there's very little, you know, even UI, UX, uh, or uh, customization, so to speak, that we can even lend ourselves to. So the idea that we would, you know, spend time in, in this is just just a waste. Well, let me, uh, let me counter your argument this way, Reed. Uh, the fact that we don't have time, it almost sounds to me like the argument of that our job is too hard. I would argue that this is probably one of the most important things we do. Instead of going out there and you know, placing another billboard in the marketplace, you should be focusing your time and spending dedicated resources to really get in there and, and, and start to play more an active role. Now, to your point about the fact that you know maybe the... UX, UI, the usability of this is a little bit more out of the box. Well, EMR organizations are starting to come into play and they're starting to actually see usability as as something that they want that interaction with the health system and partner with them on that. And moreover, let let me take it to one other level here, Reed, in that if we don't spend time on these patient portals helping to drive and, 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 and lead this, what we're going to get is a subpar experience. By, by turning our backs to it, we're basically turning our backs to the entire experience. There's still much more for us to do before people even get to the patient portal. So I think from a patient experience standpoint, there's many, many other things that we can spend our time on. Um, you know, there's you know, the website itself. There's actual patient in life, you know, experiences where they're coming in and out of the hospital um, that we need to be spending our time with. A lot of us in marketing communications have oversight of the volunteers, for example. That's another great place to spend time and effort and energy. Not in this behemoth of an e- EHR that typically the patient portal is tethered to that we're going to have very little input on other than just attending a whole bunch of meetings. Well, think about the patient portal, too, as a great way that if you could insert 
marketing communications into it, you can actually start sharing proactive information. You can actually start uh, guiding wellness programs to this and partnering with your service lines. What you're ultimately doing is you're providing a much better uh, uh, effectiveness of your marketing overall by utilizing this touch point that many patients are using. And that's all fine if we could actually design, edit, change, do anything with the actual patient portal, which we can't do. And so it's just spinning our wheels. It's not that our job's too hard. It's that it's, I mean, at this point, it's not our job. Nobody's asked us to do it. Okay, so if it's not in our job description, we shouldn't do it? Is that what your argument is? I disagree with that. I think that we should be out there actively inserting ourselves into this conversation and actually showing up at the meetings. I mean, quite frankly, change doesn't just come to our doorstep. We have to start implementing that change, and it's our imperative to drive that change. (laughs) So let's all make signs and go march around the hospital as marketing leaders about, you know, or let's have a sit-in for our, uh, our patient portal. I, I don't, it's just there's too many other things there's too many other priorities uh, there's too many other ways that we can have a greater impact than spinning our wheels uh, at the hospital because here, here's the problem if we're talking about the patient portal as it is implemented at the hospital it's too late we've already bought it we already have it you know we're stuck with what we have and while we can't advocate and we should advocate um you know, the only place we can really make a difference is going to be at a higher level, more on, on a national conversation or at the vendor level. Um, but somebody's going to have to determine that this is less about meaningful use and more about serving patients. Well, I would say that one more point of this is that we do have those usability experts that are on our digital team or we may partner with some people that have some good experience around usability and they could bring a lot to this conversation with those EHR vendors I agree with you on that Um, uh, and while I do do admit that sometimes it's a little too late in the game it still doesn't mean that we, we shouldn't be there, we shouldn't be advocating for it maybe not carry protest signs around the hospital per se (laughs) but we should still be there trying to change this once again we both kind of fall into the middle (laughs) of this yeah it it is it's it's in the middle um you know should we you know consider and and continue to make this uh, a focal point uh yes i mean you know more and more is going to happen inside the patient portal whether that be actually delivery of care, like telemedicine, like we've mentioned previously, uh, Mm -hmm. or simple user interfaces that people expect. So we need to be involved. We need to make sure that we're advocating for what uh, is best, but also, uh, you know, keeping our eye on things that we can, you know, definitely move the needle on today and not letting those go by the wayside, Um, you know, spending all Mm -hmm. our time on, you know, technology, patient portal being one of those. All right, welcome back to the segment of the podcast where we interview an expert on the topic. Today's topic of our podcast, as you know, is about bringing usability back to the patient portal. And a couple of years ago, I actually met today's guest at the Shishman conference, and he was presenting about how he brought usability and the patient experience first and foremost to the patient portal. And that is Todd Foster. Todd, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Now, Todd, you and I know each other, but um, many people may, that are listening in may not know. Can you give a brief introduction as to who you are? Okay. Um, so I live in Houston, Texas right now. Uh, worked at MD Anderson for 10 years. And actually, I started out there as um, a portfolio manager where I managed any projects that touched the patients. Um, they fell into my portfolio and managed the project managers and all of that. After about three years or so of doing that, I started realizing that there was a big disconnect between IT and the business side of the hospital. And they really weren't working together or communicating together. So I went to the COO of the time and kind of pitched a job for myself um, where I tried to 
be the person that would intersect those two between the business and the IT and get them talking to each other in hopes of better outcomes. Um, and so that's where I've been the last, I don't know, it's been like five or so, six years, um, doing various things from IT projects as well as on the administration side of the hospital. You know, I think that role of a person that's there to able to translate between the business requirements and the technology requirements is critical in a health enterprise. Um, but I would even argue that it's more than just the business requirements, it's actually translating the patient requirements into the technology solutions. Would you agree that that's right. important? Yes. It, it, they, they kind of develop something, throw it over the wall, move on to the next thing, and it never gets used because it doesn't meet their needs and they don't understand the purpose. So it's kind of a waste of time and money. Not only is it a waste of time and money and resources, it ultimately isn't serving the needs of what we're trying to do, Is that, that is provide technology that's useful to patients. And that becomes really critical. You know, many of these EMR systems, EHR systems, I get, I understand why they're very complex and very structured. That's very important. But we really need to start talking about usability and bringing that into first and foremost into the development of these tools. Now, that's one of the reasons why we wanted to talk today, because when I saw you present, we were actually talking about the work you did at the patient portal. So why don't we uh, start talking about that? Tell us a little bit about what you did at MD Anderson to help improve the patient portal experience. I think it was around 2002, seems so long ago, when we um, released our first version of MyMD Anderson, which was our patient portal. Um, and mostly it was an educational tool um, to provide education to patients, um, to understanding about what it's like at MD Anderson. And it did have a messaging component to it back then where patients could message securely back and forth with their care team. It was all custom developed in-house by MD Anderson employees. Now, you were saying in the presentation I saw that you actually were measuring the patient's understanding their needs, and then applying that to the technology requirements. That's kind of early on stages of usability or voice of customer. At the time, did you realize that's what you were doing? No. I don't even think we use the term voice of the customer, or voice of the patient, or you know anything like that. Um, I, I, don't think, I don't think we really realized what we were where we were going, I guess, is a better word for it. Um, okay, so your organization really wasn't aware that what you were doing is voice of customer, but certainly they must have seen the value of that. How did the organization actually respond? How did your doctors and, and your support staffs uh, respond to this approach? That's a lot of information there to talk about because you you have the patient side of things but you also have the staff side of things like with messaging they were incredibly nervous that they were going to take two to three hours extra every day to answer all these emails coming in and and so there was a lot of conversation around that with staff to get them to understand what we we're trying to do here and eventually they did see the benefit. They realized an email is a lot less time than a phone call. And the phone calls were going down, emails were going up, but they could answer them quicker and more accurately. And the patient would get the information more timely. I mean, back in 2002, did we even have DSL then? Was it dial-up modems? <laughs> I'm trying to remember how we connected back then. <laughs> AOL, maybe? I know. It probably was. So there was some education for patients. You know, would patients use this? And most people within MD Anderson would, would say, well, our patient population's older. They're not going to use it. But they did. Um, so we went live with it. They started using it. We're different than a typical hospital. We're a specialty hospital, and our patients are our patients for a very long time. So it's different from breaking your leg and going to hospital, getting a cast. You know, the the connection 
constant connection there isn't always necessary, I guess. I mean, we have a half a million logins to our patient portal every month. Um, we have almost 80,000 email messages coming through every month. Um, so patients are using it. Um, we're Our percentage of active patients using the system, we're up in the 90%, which, yeah, most hospital systems are probably around 30%, but it's because we involved them in this process of developing this and, and listened to them and tried to put into the system what they were asking for. So getting patient feedback or input into the development of the patient portal was important. How did you go about doing that? Again, MD Anderson may be unique in this area. It, it's really easy to get patients involved in a community um, and, and to meet with us and provide us feedback, especially because they look at us as saving their life. And so they're grateful and they want to help who's behind them that's going through what they've been through. So we typically don't have a hard time getting patients involved. We have a patient group that meets monthly um, and we rotate people in and out of that group. Um, there's probably, I'm not sure, about 50 patients every month that show up. And that's where we go and show them things. This is what we're thinking. This is what it would possibly look like. So they get sneak peeks of it, things. And we get their feedback and incorporate that in. You know, if they don't understand what the functionality is or the purpose of it, we can explain that. If they still don't understand it, that gives us a pretty good clue that it's going to be a functionality they won't use. Um, usually, if they immediately get it, we know this is something necessary. Um, so that's one way with, with live patients. Um, there's also feedback mechanisms within MyMD Anderson. And most of our patients are not shy to tell us what they think. So we get a lot of feedback from them that way. So it was later you introduced uh, the patient portal connected to a larger electronic medical record. How did patients take to that? So at that time, MD Anderson had their own custom-built EMR. So we had to work to integrate that in as, as a view within the portal. So like I said, that added all their medical record information for patients to look at. Lots of discussion, because we can't release medical information until the doctors talk to the patient, because we don't want them to see something that they don't understand and it scares them. That was the thought. I think patients, we need to give them more credit. They understand a lot more than what we think about what's going on, at least at MD Anderson. They know what every blood result number means. Uh, and they know on their imaging the size of, you know, they know exactly what's going on. Um, maybe new patients is a little different, you know, because they're not familiar yet. They haven't, they're, you know, so hold some information off till the doctor has a conversation. But otherwise, in 2009, I think it was like two weeks before information became available. And over time, it, it's become shorter and shorter and shorter to where now, like lab results, it's tied to meaningful use. But I think within 72 hours, and I think we usually have them released within 48 hours, um, the medical record, the transcribed notes, all of those are available once transcribed, which again is within three days. Um, if patients had it their way, it, everything would be available immediately. Well, so clearly the user needs are much stronger than um, what a lot of typical off-the-shelf patient portals are. And knowing that you work with a third-party company, tell us a little bit about how you're working with them to ensure that you're bringing forward the patient needs into the patient portal. We went live on Epic in March of 2016. Epic has my chart for the patient portal, and it, a lot of patients use that in other facilities. Uh, we decided we wanted to keep our look and our feel of our patient portal. Our patients were used to it. They knew exactly where to go for what they wanted. So we chose to integrate with uh, my chart. But the, the people in charge of the implementation I mean, they have a very good repeatable process and they can go anywhere and repeat that process and it is successful. 
So when we started throwing out, well, we want to integrate with MyChart and pull pieces in that we want and not have other pieces we don't want, you know, it threw them off. They didn't, they saw it as a risk in their schedule. And so we kept digging and pushing and we actually ended up getting with the developers of MyChart and they had already written web services for everything that we wanted. It's just that nobody knew about it. So we started working with them and we're able to, through web services, we pull in everything we want that Epic provides. We didn't have to recreate the wheel anywhere. And then we'll, re- we'll develop things that they don't have that we want. So, uh, they were excited about it. Once we got far enough in and they knew what we were doing, it was a great experience. They worked very collaboratively with us. Um, they were open to things and actually made changes quickly for us so some things would work better. You know, I think that that speaks to the fact that um, even though Epic and other EMR systems, they're very much standardized because they need to be, I think those processes and systems have to be in place, but that they're willing to start to work with organizations such as yourself to develop tools or or approaches that are more patient-friendly. So congratulations on that. Tell us a little bit about some of the things that you've seen, some of the successes you've seen. It enabled us by, by moving to Epic. Um, MD Anderson internal name for it is called OneConnect. Um, it standardized a lot of things within MD Anderson. And by doing so, our, our staff members are more educated on the, the MyMD Anderson and they have started communicating this to patients as well. And I think that's why our numbers are so high of how many patients are using our portal. Um, the, just the fact of standardizing and staff understand and, and they talk about it with the patients. That's tremendous, Todd. It's really great to hear that by developing systems that are more patient-centric, that the staff itself actually start to see the value of that and make those references. Really powerful stuff. So... A lot of organizations are kind of starting to look at this and wanting to know, you know, what's, what are the best ways or what are some tips that you can provide them if they wanted to start down this path? I, I'm going back and thinking about some of the lessons we learned during this process. Um, and we learned to constantly involve patients, which we've talked about. Um, we probably even more so we did that before going live with our Epic implementation. We were meeting more often with patients and showing them what it looked like. We actually had patients came in and tested it. They actually used it and we watched how they used it and got their feedback. Never make presumptions. I mean, we know a lot and we're like, oh, patients will never do that or they will. I wouldn't make those presumptions. And I think it's always interesting from a, a hospital perspective, if you can use the technology to introduce accountability back to the staff and, and some way hold staff accountable for the patient experience as well. So maybe things like um, how quickly are they answering messages that come back? You know, is it, is it a quick turnaround time? So what I'm hearing, Todd, is that it's not only the voice of the patient that became important to your development of the patient portal, but also the voice of your support staff, your medical professionals, etc. that became part of that. I think that shows an incredible level of sophistication. This has been a really interesting interview. Really appreciated you sharing all your insights with us. And I'm sure that after people hear this, they want to ask some more questions of you. What's the best way for them to reach out to you, get a hold of you? Honestly, email would be the best way to get in touch with me. I would just give you my personal email is toddfoster at att.net. That's the best way. It's kind of embarrassing, I guess, being a forward-thinking technology guy, but I don't tweet. So I don't have a Twitter account. Having two teenage girls, I probably should so that I can follow what they're doing. But email would be the best way. Well, and LinkedIn too, right? Oh, yes. Yes. LinkedIn. Definitely. Well, Todd, thank you very much for participating today. We really appreciate your time and appreciate you being part of our podcast. Thanks. Not a problem. It was awesome.
All right, here we are at the end of episode 12. A dozen. Not a is a baker's dozen 13. Is that what that is. is? Okay, so not quite a baker's dozen, but a true dozen podcast now completed. And uh, it's a good one. Talk about patient portals. We've got, uh, obviously, more topics in the queue, even more interviews that have already been done in the queue that will be coming up some more about that. But first, before we get too far, I know we've mentioned this uh, quite a bit uh, about uh, where we're going to be upcoming. There are a few more details around that. Chris, you want to share a little bit? Sure. What we're talking about is the Forum for Healthcare Strategists, the 22nd Annual Healthcare Marketing and Physician Strategy Summit that's down in Austin on May 8th through the 10th. Um, As a lot of you who have been listening in know, Reed and I are going to actually be there. Reed, it's your hometown, so to speak. Um, So right in your own backyard, and I'm going to be flying in from Minneapolis. And we're going to be there uh, doing a live recording of our podcast. It's going to happen the afternoon, that Tuesday afternoon on the 9th. When, if you nice. want to know exactly the details, like the room, the uh, the uh, the time, you want to sit in on like uh, in the audience and listen into our podcast recording, just come seek us out. We'll give you some information. We'll have some things at the conference. You can also reach us on Twitter or LinkedIn or whatever, and we can share with you some of those details. We have confirmed some speakers that are going to be there. Some of our old favorite ASI experts, and I don't mean old in a derogatory sense, but um, Ed Bennett is going to be there. Uh, you remember him from episode two when we were talking about content management systems. Uh, Brian Gresh, who just uh, we just had in the uh, content from Cleveland Clinic. Just last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt Gov is going to be there. Uh, he's, he's confirmed that he's going to speak, and we might have one or two extra special guests as well that will all be live recording a podcast, kind of going through everything that we're doing here. So it'll be really fun. If you want to be part of the audience, um, we'd love to have you there. Just come seek us out. We'll give you some details. But of course, Reed, we're going to also be there kind of with our mobile microphones, doing impromptu recordings, running into people, asking them questions. We're going to be interviewing some of the uh, keynote speakers. And, uh, you know, rumor has it that maybe even late night at a bar, a microphone will come out and we might even get into an impromptu touch point, touch counterpoint argument. You never know. You never know. So anyway, here we are uh, at uh, the recommendations. Recommendations. Mm -hmm. What do you got? Typically, we've been doing a lot of recommendations around, you know, Internet stuff. And, and, you know, you you, you keep bringing up things that I keep buying off of Amazon later. But uh, today I'm going to recommend something that you can't really buy on Amazon. I'm going to recommend going for a walk. I wrote a a blog post a couple of uh, weeks ago about how to kind of prepare yourself to be a little bit more strategic as you go through the week. And one of the things I suggested is you sometimes have to just go out and get away from it all. And what I found a lot of value lately, particularly with the turn of the weather here in, in Minneapolis, particularly, it's been beautiful, sunny out. I'm going to make a recommendation this week to go for a 20 to 30 minute walk in the middle of the day. Get some of that sunlight, get some good vitamin D, clear your head, try to put your phone away. Of course, if there's something cool to, to Instagram or Snapchat along the way, go ahead and do that. But, you know, try to put your phone away and just enjoy the weather. Enjoy being outside. No, that's great. That's great. Very good recommendation. Um, my recommendation, um, you could potentially listen to while you're on a walk, but uh, it is actually a book. So you can actually buy, if you want to go retro, you can buy the physical book or you can download it and listen to it if you uh, have a commute or things like that, which is what I've done. It's a book called Shoe Dog. Uh, it's a memoir by Phil Knight, the founder of Nike. Um, and it's, uh, it's really interesting. Anybody that's an entrepreneur would find it very interesting, but it's really about the inception of Nike, uh, and even even pre-Nike, back in the early 60s to the early 80s, shortly after Nike went public. And so um, it's not so much about the current day, and even even if you want to rewind back to the Michael Jordan, Charles Barkley days, but um, it's more about, uh, you know, really what they did as a business, how they structured it, who they partnered with, some of the different uh, things. You know, what, what he, you know, even regrets to this day as, as a founder of a company, you know, as a, I think he's worth $25 billion or something like that. And so to listen to wow. him talk about, you know, what this all means now and if he had to do it all over again and the fact that he would want to do it all over again because of some of those things. You know, really, really fascinating book. But any, I think any entrepreneur or anybody that has uh, tried to start a business, did start a business, 
um, you know, would find it would find it pretty interesting. Great recommendation, Reed. Great recommendation. Awesome. Well, here we are, Reed, at the end of our episode twelve. Uh, one shy of the baker's dozen. We're so happy that we're getting a lot of people listening in. If you find a lot, if find that what we're talking about is kind of fun, kind of interesting, very help, uh, helpful to you, uh, recommend it to a friend. Uh, suggest you know, share it with a friend. Let them know that this podcast is out there. Let people know. Absolutely. So when you go out, if you have found this interesting, like Chris mentioned, and you find yourself navigating over to iTunes while you're there, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and rate and review us um, does a lot to not only make sure that you have the most recent episode as soon as it's available but it helps other folks that might be interested in it make it that much easier for them to find so subscribe rate and review on itunes and that would uh, really mean a lot to us well he's reads at reed smith and i'm at chris boyer and this is the touchpoint podcast you can find us on touchpointpodcast.com iTunes and anywhere else where you can get a podcast. Until next time, have a good one.